Welcome to the first Youth for the People podcast episode. It is our goal to speak out about the many injustices people face today and to spread awareness on these issues. From humanitarian crises to global movements to climate change, we hope to empower our youth for the benefit of people everywhere. Currently, Yemen is experiencing the world's worst humanitarian crisis due to political conflict between Houthi rebels backed by Iran and the existing government supported by a Saudi-led coalition. War-torn Yemen is living in a nightmare. People have been forced to flee their homes, the country is on the brink of famine, healthcare is collapsing, and suffering is prevalent almost everywhere. Yemen is also experiencing the world's worst cholera outbreak amidst the war and not to mention a global pandemic. So just how is Yemen being impacted by COVID-19? To answer our questions, today we welcome Dr. Aisha Juman, the current president of the Yemen Relief and Reconstruction Foundation. The foundation is aimed to increase the awareness of the American public and policymakers on the dire situation in Yemen. It also aims to facilitate peace bringing campaigns and provide relief to those in need. We thank Dr. Juman for being here today and giving us her valuable time. If you're ready, we can get right into the questions. Okay, go ahead. Okay, so you were born in Yemen, correct? Yes. So could you just elaborate on your life there and tell me if that influenced you to go into epidemiology? Okay. Yeah, I uh, was born in Rada, which is a, uh, a small town outside of uh, Sana'a, about mm-hmm. 150 kilometers south of Sana'a. Uh, from there, we went to Aden, uh, where I attended school up to third grade and then moved back to Sana'a um, from fourth grade onwards. Living in Yemen uh, at that formative age was, uh, for me, extremely um, helpful because of the very strong community sense uh, that we lived with um, and and the very strong uh, sense of security and safety. Everybody looked after everybody, um, you know, it's not just your parents were responsible for you, your neighbors were also responsible for you. Uh, we lived in an extended family home with my cousins, uh, my uncles. So that we, we got, I think, a lot of love and care. Um, and we've learned a lot by just observing um, what's going on in, in the community. In terms of whether it influenced whether I wanted to go to public health, I don't think at that age um, I was aware uh, of that. But it did influence my desire to be in the public in in the health sector um, because there were a lot of needs uh, that were visible uh, that Yemen health system needed uh, a lot of support. So in my formative age um, and grow, growing up in Yemen um, again, this strong sense of community, this strong sense of wanting to help and uh, the lack of medical and health resources uh, were instrumental in my desire to to be in the health sector. As we know, the people of Yemen are suffering greatly from numerous factors, but before we begin to talk about how the current pandemic is making an already terrible situation worse, can you address the cholera outbreak as well as outbreaks of other illnesses such as malaria, diphtheria, and dengue? So unfortunately, Yemen is suffering from a lot of health uh, issues. 
um, when we talk about the cholera, it's it's localized in Yemen and in many other countries, but again, not crossing borders like we have with COVID-19. Uh, the cholera outbreak in Yemen started in 2016 and has not been uh, controlled. Um, and now we have over 2.3 million cases uh, of suspected cases of cholera in Yemen. That is actually a shame, uh, given that we are in the 21st century and, and to have a disease like cholera uh, be so prevalent uh, in a community. We, uh, but I think if we also need to look at the root causes of why cholera and diphtheria and dengue and chikungunya and, and many other um, outbreaks are happening in Yemen. Yemen has been um, attacked uh, in, in my view by Saudi Arabia, uh, Saudi-led coalition uh, since March of 2015. Unfortunately, the US government is supporting that war and enabling it to continue. Um, and then there's also a blockade on Yemen that, does, that prevents food, medicine, and fuel and essential goods from getting in. So in that environment, it then, uh, you know, the health system has been destroyed. 50% of the health facilities and health system have been destroyed. The water facilities have been destroyed, the electrical facilities. So you create uh, an environment that is very ripe for um, infectious diseases to spread. Uh, diphtheria, for example, Yemen had not had diphtheria cases since 1980. And uh, now in 2020, uh, 2019, also 2019, we're having diphtheria cases in Yemen. Um, again, that's totally unacceptable in, in our modern days. Um, there's There are also multiple dengue outbreaks that are happening in several parts of Yemen, especially the coastal regions uh, of Yemen. Right. And um, do you think that, or well, rather, since the blockades have been there, especially on uh, port cities like Hodaida, um, do you think that that is also affecting the rate at which these illnesses are being contracted because of the lack of access? So uh, definitely, the, the blockade actually, for me, is more dangerous than the airstrikes in a sense that the airstrikes you know, happen in geographic areas. We know immediately where the impact is. With the, the blockade, it created famine, right. for one thing. So when you have famine, what happens is people's immunity declines. So people are now more born to uh, infectious diseases and all diseases for that matter. Um, you have also a restriction of entry of medicine. You have a restriction of entry, like even fluoride tablets. Uh, initially, um, medicine for to treat cholera. You have all these factors that people are not considering in ha- the impact of the blockade on Yemen. It, you know, I, um, I, I hate to compare, but if you look at Syria, for example, that has been at war for a lot longer, but they don't have a blockade. Right. The same thing with Libya, they don't have a blockade. So you don't see the magnitude of disaster uh, and humanitarian crisis in those countries, despite the, the wars that the raging there, it's the blockade is killing a lot of people that have not been counted. When they talk about the 113 million people who were killed or died because of the war on Yemen, nobody is counting those who die at home because malnutrition. Nobody is counting those who are at home because they don't have medicine. 
whether it's cancer medicine, whether it's diabetes medicine, whether it's, um, you know, hypertension medicine, a lot of these are encountered. Uh, and the reason Yemen is the largest humanitarian crisis is not because of a natural disaster or even an accident. Right. It's a man-made disaster. It's an, a man-made humanitarian crisis. And it, 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 because of that, it can be solved. It can be stopped. It can be reversed. Only if the U.S., uh, you know, pressures the Saudi to stop their aggression on Yemen and at least in the blockade on the, on the country. And also the other thing with the blockade is that you have a lot of businesses who have, you know, you know, went background. Mm-hmm. Because they cannot bring in goods, uh, and Yemen imports ninety percent of its needs. So that has been um, the number one in my mind on my assessment of things um, impact on creating the largest humanitarian crisis in Yemen. So you think that definitely U.S. involvement and U.S. pressure would help, like, to prevent these curable diseases from occurring? Absolutely. The, when the war in Yemen uh, started, it was not announced from Riyadh. It actually was announced from uh, Washington, D.C. Mm-hmm. And that when uh, President Obama was in office. So American support is critical to, to the continuation of the war. Uh, and without that support, the Saudis cannot continue this war. Because I, it just makes me so upset that so many innocent civilians are having to suffer like this so many children and and that's why it's very important for us as american citizens to make sure that first of all everybody knows about what's going on in yemen mm-hmm. and that all our government is playing in that and and reach out to our representatives and our uh, you know senators to say we do not support this actually if you look at um you know, calls that have been made. The majority of Americans are not in support of this war, and our our, our you know elected officials need to hear from us that we don't support this. And I feel like a lot of people are not even aware of the situation or even like the magnitude of it. Yes. Um, I feel like it's more of an underrated issue that definitely needs to be gaining more support and attention. I actually believe it's black dot on purpose. I think the Saudi put a lot of money in public relations firms and lobbying for, uh, for even our elected officials to make sure that Yemen does not get uh, to be visible uh, to, to the American public. In 2017, they spent $27 million in public relations firms just to uh, so that the Americans don't know what's going on. Um, in Yemen. I feel like that money could have been used for so many more things to help the people of Yemen. Oh, well, I mean, if you add the amount of money that they spend on a daily basis mm-hmm. on the war in Yemen, it's in the it's in the, almost a trillions of dollars. So yes, they could have used the money. Um, if they didn't start the war, we wouldn't be in, in a place where we are. And if you, they use a fraction of the funds they use just to buy weapons to support the Yemeni people, the Yemeni people would have been eternally grateful to them and uh, no suffering would occur. So now as we move on to the subject of the 
coronavirus. So this global pandemic is already affecting a dire situation. So can you elaborate more on the scope of COVID-19 in Yemen? So one of the issues that we are very concerned with with COVID-19 is we know COVID-19 is more severe in people who have uh, immunosuppression. So when we say 80% of the people in Yemen uh, are in need of some uh, assistance, when we say about 14 million people in Yemen at the brink of famine, when we say we have 2.3 million people in Yemen who are, are you've had cholera and add to that dengue and add all of that, that means you have a large portions of the Yemeni population who have, um, you know, it's on a population scale who have uh, an immunocompromised system. So in, in such a population, then COVID-19 is going to be severe. So we see mortality rates in, in other countries um, be around 3%. Mortality rates in Yemen from COVID-19 is, um, it, it, the reported, is about 30%. So 30% of COVID-19 cases are down. I know from certain uh, governments that I work very closely with um, that, that mortality rate is as high as 50%. So one person of every uh, case, one out of two cases um, in Yemen die of COVID-19. That's quite a bit of severity. And we anticipated that, you know, when COVID-19 started, I think aid agencies and those of us who are in the public health sphere were very concerned because we knew it would be severe because the population is already uh, near compromised. And then what is your best estimate on the number of COVID-related deaths? And do you feel that it is in the thousands already, in the hundreds of thousands? It's it's very hard to tell in Yemen uh, for two reasons. One is the northern governments are not supporting uh, publicly any, any cases. So we don't know the magnitude of the cases there. Um, and in the southern governments, we know there is huge underreporting because they don't, they're reporting cases that are lab tested and they don't have the capacity to test and don't have even the reagents to be able to do the testing. So whatever numbers we get from Yemen, uh, they are extremely an underestimate of the true uh, burden of weather cases and mortality in Yemen. If even we use a um, very conservative estimate uh, of, you know, if we say 20% would die, we're still talking about a million deaths uh, in Yemen. That's, that's quite a bit. Uh, that's a large number. So uh, we don't have, nobody, nobody has the full picture, uh, but based on, you know, assumptions and modeling, um, the numbers will be quite high, both cases and fatality. Given that the government is not exactly at its strongest, it's in fact, is it safe to say that since it's barely functioning, the government hasn't been doing anything to address this pa- uh, pandemic, correct? Because I read that there are no quarantine orders, there are no quarantine centers. Would you elaborate on that? Yeah, so Yemen has two governments. Uh, one is the internationally recognized government right. and resides in Riyadh. And the other one is the government in Sana'a. Unfortunately, they're not working together to coordinate, uh, a, a, you know, a response to COVID-19. There have been some, uh, you know, attempts at dealing with it. But like you said, um, you know, if the 50% of the health system is not functional, uh, if the income to the government is 
you know, both of them, they don't have, you know, a strong budget. So they're not capable, even if they want to, of uh, responding to COVID-19 properly from the health perspective. There have been some laws or uh, measures where they would close uh, certain uh, areas and uh, but yeah, it's been very challenging for people to adhere to the recommendations about you know the social distancing or not being able to get out because you know the economy is already extremely um, devastated. And so people who have a day job, they feel if they don't get out, then they don't have an income. And we've actually worked with people who told us very specifically, we would rather die of COVID, a fast death, than die of hunger, a painful and long uh, process of death. So when, when families tell you that, it's very hard to say to them, you have to abide by the recommendations because for them staying at home and not going out to work means the whole family is going to die of hunger. Um, so it's, it's the, people are put in a very tough place, unfortunately. And on top of that, um, 31 of the 41 programs that were supported by international aid agencies have been cut in the middle of a COVID-19 uh, pandemic. So it couldn't be worse for the people of Yemen. And uh, in the past week or so, Yemen has been receiving, um, uh, experiencing a lot of rain. And that has also added uh, to the suffering because people have lost their homes um, because of the flooding. Uh, They've lost their means of living, people who had animals. And there have been also people who died because of the flooding. And uh, for me, as a public health professional, the other thing that worries me about the flooding is now we're going to see a spike in um, dengue and chikungunya mm-hmm. and malaria because of the mosquito uh, you know, breeding. Uh, there's going to be you know, an opportune or uh, an environment where the mosquitoes will be breeding. And how badly do you feel that the coronavirus will affect children, especially those that are suffering from acute malnutrition? Uh, in, I think, again, COVID-19 hits people who have immunocompromised and who are at risk. So whether it's children or adults, um, I think COVID-19 is going to have a, a huge devastating effect on population in Yemen. And um, children are already in, you know, uh, Save the Children in 2016 or 17 that uh, 10,000 people, 10,000 children and their five died of infectious disease, preventable infectious diseases. So um, if they're dying, if 10,000 are dying, those are that we know of because 50% of the population ha- has no access to health services, so we don't know what's going on with them. So if we're seeing 10,000 uh, dying of infectious diseases that existed that we can control, imagine what the impact is going to be now with COVID-19 where we don't have you know, the treatment or the proper way to deal with it. And moving on to Yemen's uh, deteriorating healthcare system, as we discussed, Coronavirus will obviously take much more of a toll on it than everything else already has. How do you think that that's going to influence the amount of aid and medicines that are already being brought in and when things are already not available and in shortage? As I said, I mean, giving the aid cuts to Yemen were 31 of the 41 
programs are being cut in the middle and those were essential uh, for to, for the services and the diseases that were already in place covid 19 if we look at the us for example and the devastation it has created both for the health system and for the economy of people you need to multiply that to, by so many factors to realize the impact on in a country like Yemen. So the impact, again, um, is going to be severe uh, in Yemen. And there is, you know, even the aid that existed through the international community is now being dried up. Uh, so, you know, if cholera went to, to 2.3 million cases, suspected cases when there was aid, and now we have about a 70% decrease in aid, think about what's going to happen of 75 and, and with COVID-19 uh, when that 75% has already cut. So if we couldn't control cholera with all that aid, then um, the COVID-19 is going to be uh, a much worse uh, situation for, for the people in Yemen. And as we discussed um, earlier as well, that Yemen is also often overlooked. If and when a vaccine is found, how imperative is it that Yemen gets enough of it? Or do you feel that Yemen will again be forgotten? That's a very good question. Uh, my hope that humanity um, is going to be prevailing and that people who are at highest risk of mortality are going to be prioritized in the decision-making on who gets the vaccine. The reality, it, you know, it tells me otherwise. The reality is that people Countries that have the funds are going to be the first ones to get it. And countries that don't have the funds are going to be forgotten. So uh, I just hope that humanity wins this time. And what would be your final message to the general public uh, about this crisis amidst COVID-19? I'd like to tell the people of the, um, here and, and everywhere that what you're experiencing with COVID-19 of being forced to stay home, of losing your jobs, of not having access to the health system the way you should, that the Yemeni people have been experiencing this for for over five years. They've been forced to stay home because they lost their job. They've been forced to stay home because of the airstrike. So they've lost their livelihood uh, because of the blockade. They've seen their loved ones die because they couldn't afford uh, to feed them or to buy medicine for them. Uh, it, you know, Yemen has been living the COVID-19 environment for over five years. Please don't be quiet. Uh, please speak up on their behalf. Please make sure that we all know about what's going on in Yemen and reach out to our legislators and tell them that we do not want to be part of this war. Okay, again, thank you so much for giving me your time. I appreciated all of your insight and thank you so much again. We wish you well and I hope that you are safe and in good health during this time. Same to you, Sue. Thank you very much.